from the Gospel according to St. John, we find it in the 13th chapter. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and had returned to the table. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You, should also, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you all in peace. Grace and peace intended for you by God, our Father, and intended from the very beginning of creation. And grace and peace to you from the humble one who comes to serve us this night. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I guess I wouldn't count the uh, young ones in their family who had a marvelous feast in their, their uh, first communion dinner this evening before coming into this room, but I asked the rest of you, did any of you come to this place to get a meal this evening? Was that your intent? I must tell you, that was mine. I certainly did. 
Our young people who have been preparing for their first communion this evening have received their meal. And they came for that meal, but they came more importantly for the meal to come. And so I hope you did as well. When I think of Maundy Thursday, I first always think of a meal. I don't think of the kind of meal where you sit down at a table. Instead, I think of kneeling or coming humbly forward to receive a meal that is so much more than the ordinary, simple eating and drinking. Now, I love good food. You only have to look at me to tell that. But what I need, what I really need, I cannot get from ordinary food alone. You see, what I really need is I need to be loved. Even though my wife Jessica shows her love for me in so many ways, including cooking meals, that's still not what I need the very most. This evening, I will receive what I need the most, and so will these wonderful youngsters that sit among us. And so will all of you in just a few moments. Pastor spoke to us about the meaning of monde, which comes from the Latin mundatum, which means command or commandment. And the Lord's command to love one another as I have loved you, his words that I read for you just a moment ago, requires a meal that provides me the love that I need so very desperately. That's where I receive the love of God, love that I can give back to God, and love that I can share with you, my brothers, sisters, and all my neighbors, all of the Lord's children. Now, there probably aren't many of you who are thinking right now that you're looking here at this pulpit as, as, at a sinner. Is that correct? Well, you shouldn't ought to think that, right? I am one. We all are. And now I have to ask, where do I go with this sermon from that? Let's just go back to where I was. The meal of Monday Thursday is a meal to which our Lord Jesus Christ has attached a very specific and a much-needed promise. And that is the forgiveness of our sins, of our failures, of our impure thoughts. I know what you will receive doesn't appear to be anything more than a morsel of bread and, and a sip of wine or grape juice, as your choice may be. But the words that come from this meal, the word of God that comes with this meal, make it so much more than just simply eating and drinking. The Lord's Supper literally gives what it promises to those who believe and trust the words that Luther said was most important for you. The Lord's words are always, as we know, like a double-edged sword. And in the case of the words of institution that brings the Lord's Supper to us, there is no difference. Anyone who receives the bread and wine and doing so while not believing are guilty of the Lord's body and blood. And therefore they eat and drink to the judgment of their soul. But those who come and receive this meal come in true heart believing. To each of those, that person receives the, the life-saving presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Either way it goes, this meal is so much more than simple eating and drinking, as I said before. Holy communion is a meal that actually fulfills what the Old Testament Passover meal just hinted at. You might remember how in that original Passover, the Lord commanded Moses to have his people prepare a feast and do so during what was to be their last night during slavery in Egypt. What they received was much more than a meal as well. Yet that very ancient Passover points to Christ's divine meal of eternal salvation. The Passover meal had a marvelous purpose. It was instituted from the Lord's deep desire to save his chosen people from death. That meal had many things served, not just bread and wine, but among those other things were bitter herbs. And those herbs left a, of course, bitter taste in one's mouth. That taste was to help God's people remember how their Egyptian taskmasters had embittered their lives through their servitude. The Passover meal was served with unleavened bread. That kind of bread was prepared quickly because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was about to chase God's people out of his country. Deuteronomy 16 calls it the bread of affliction. And Deuteronomy 16 continues by saying, For you have come out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. You might be wondering why this ancient Passover of the Jews is so important to you and to me on this Monday Thursday. Well, It's important because it points to our release from slavery to sin. And our release comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The roasted flesh of the sacrificed lamb was the tangible sign that an innocent victim had been slaughtered as a substitute in the place of God's people. Do you see how the Passover pointed to Jesus' sacrifice? Do you see how that Passover points to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? The sacrifice of his own body and blood was made for us, for you and for me. His, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, was a truly God-pleasing sacrifice. For the people coming out of Egypt... It was the body and blood of a literal sacrificial lamb that marked them as the people of God. The angelic destroyer would pass over their homes and spare their firstborn sons. At the same time, the destroying angel was passing over the people of Israel. It was leaving a trail of death and woe among the Egyptians. Now, this evening, I would be wasting your time with all this historical background if it didn't have a contemporary present-day significance. And it does. Every single word of it. You see, we are talking about more than simple eating and drinking on Monday, Thursday, and every time we receive the Lord's Supper. We are speaking of God's protection for his people. We are talking about God keeping his people safe from destruction. We are talking about the more important passing over of our sins. And that happens 
for the sake of Jesus Christ himself. For us who believe, that is a tremendously fulfilling message to hear. This, sisters and brothers, is the very food that I so desperately need and I want so much. Do you want the same? Nearly 4,000 years have passed since the Passover was instituted. And as you know, roughly 2,000 years have gone by since its perfect fulfillment came to us in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's a long time for one special meal to proclaim the singular meaningful passage or message of salvation. Don't you think? Maybe we could even call it an edible prophecy. What I mean is that what the Passover meal proclaimed, that you and I literally will sink our teeth into this evening. So you see, we share a meal which is so much more than simple eating and drinking. The Lord's Supper is a meal that has a life of its own, and our communion is able to nourish a suffering soul and strengthen the faint-hearted because of God's promise attached to it. There is no other meal that does so much. In this meal, God comes down to meet us right where we live. He comes down into the Egypt of our own captivity to sin. He comes not to kill, but to forgive and to bestow life by passing to us his own body and blood in the form of his son. He does this not only as a signet, a sign pointing to something better to come, but he does it as the gift of life itself, his life. This is why, to me, what we receive in a few moments is the Passover meal of meals. It does, in fact, give me the very love that I need and want the most. Who would ever be able to guess that these things could be even a remote possibility coming from simple elements of nature, bread and the fruit of the vine? It is only by faith that we realize that the Father did not send his Son to impress the world, but instead he sent Jesus to save the world. And by faith, we see beyond earthly things. We see to the heavenly elements of his body and blood. I wonder if Rachel Ray would be impressed. So tonight, brothers and sisters, when you receive the bread, remember it is, in fact, simple bread, yet it's so much more than bread. It is his body that was given over to death so that you and I may have life. So, my dear fellow believers, take, eat, and, yes, rejoice. Rejoice that you are counted among Christ's own brothers and sisters. In this meal, your time of slavery to sin has ended. Your time of life begins again. Rejoice in your heart, even though the reality of Good Friday looms just over the next sunrise. As you take and drink, remember what you receive is simple wine or grape juice, yet so much more than those liquid things. What you receive is the lifeblood of Jesus given for you. 
His blood shields you from the destruction that certainly will overtake this world when the angels come according to God's command on the last day. His blood will keep you hidden in Christ all of your life and safe in that place. And his blood, as we've learned, is the true blood of the Passover lamb sacrificed for you. What greater love is there than the love Christ exhibits for you and for me and does so so intimately and so personally and fulfills us so perfectly? Thanks be to Christ. Amen.